welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the CJ of the Pod One Shot series. I am one of your hosts, Daniel King, recording this one shot this week. Uh, we're rec- we're doing a back to back one shot just because the schedule's been sort of hectic with the podcast recently, between holidays and me being out of town, so it's sort of thrown thing thrown things out of whack recently, and we do apologize for that. I also apologize in advance. It's probably going to continue into continue into next week, just because I will be out of town for a majority of the upcoming week or the, or next week, at least. So you'll probably get a third one shot uh, with Brie for that following week. And then at that point, we will probably be able to get back on track with the, with the general podcast episodes. So, uh, so in saying that, hope you guys can understand, realize that this the, sort of the beginning of the holiday season sort of becomes hectic and makes it a little bit harder for us to record if we're not necessarily sitting down at the time. So one of the things I wanted to get into today was talking about Mandalorian episode 13. So spoiler alerts for that. I also want to get into DC or Warner Brothers specifically, Warner Brothers moving the release of Wonder Woman 1984 onto, onto HBO Max and some of the implications of making a move like that the way they did. And then the other thing I wanted to talk about was sort of Black Clover. I've been watching, I started watching that probably about a month ago and I was able to catch back up to episode 153. So I'm fully up to date on everything that's happened. So I want to get into that. So the first thing I will get into is Mandalorian episode 13. So episode 13 saw Mando Mando meet up with, or find, a better way to phrase it, find Ahsoka Tano. And at first, once he gets to this planet, he's tasked with killing her, but obviously he's actually looking for her instead. They have a brief scuffle, but we got to learn some interesting things about about uh, Baby Yoda, about Ahsoka and what she's looking at and what she's going after. And we, and the thing that sort of got me most excited was you can start seeing the integration of both some of the Clone, War, Clone Wars uh, uh, storylines and some of the Star Wars Rebel storyline, which is, um, which as a fan of both shows, I am completely ecstatic about that. So the first thing I wanted to get to was talking about Baby Yoda. So he learned his name. I don't have his name up in front of me, but it was, but the way they sort of got to telling us what his name was, we found out that he's about 50 years old. So he was alive during, during the, uh, sort of the clone wars itself. And he was one of the sort of the last Jedi or students and he got to see the downfall of the Jedi. So there's a lot of trauma there with Baby Yoda. So that's part of the reason why he doesn't necessarily show his powers as much as he or shows his use of the force as much as he could. We got to learn that part of the reason why he doesn't necessarily speak is because or another reason he doesn't necessarily speak is because of just a language barrier and which sort of gave gave um, an interesting idea to why Yoda speaks the way he does. And and being how that translation of language doesn't necessarily uh, pair well coming out of 
coming through the force, but is easier to talk through the force, which is how Ahsoka and Baby Yoda were able to talk. And so it was really interesting to sort of see those that those through lines that I think I think that season one of Mandal of the Mandalorian was very much trying to establish the characters, but now they're getting into the part that I think a lot of people, especially myself, was looking forward to was that that sort of expansion of the universe, connecting to the things that we already know, connecting to the things that we understand, and sort of getting into how we how the Mandalorian universe connects to the greater Star Wars universe. One of the greatest, one of the best parts of the episode is once we get to towards the um, end of the episode and we get, we find out that Ahsoka is looking for, uh, I always forget, I always forget how to say his name. I think it's Admiral, Admiral Thawne or Thrawn, Admiral Thrawn. That's what it is. So she's looking for Admiral Thrawn who, was pretty much the main protagonist in, or sorry, the main antagonist in Star Wars Rebels. And he was such just this charismatic force in the show that he, every time he appeared, it just, it sort of just, it brought, it brought the show up. Right. And I think that's one of the things that at least in Mandalorian that I think Star Wars can get back to is creating compelling villains again. And I think Admiral Thrawn is one of those one of those villains that Star Wars has been uh, sorely lacking over the years. Cause I feel like there's such an, there's such this um, desire to go back, this desire to go back and sort of live off of the name of Darth Vader and the, um, and the uh, Emperor Palpatine. But I think there's, I think there's so much more to what Star Wars can provide and especially with villains which is why I think sort of where Star Wars really is at its best is when it's highlighting, showcasing, and really sort of featuring their villains and sh- making them these scary, these scary, de- uh, demeaning presence over the entire show, so that you or the entire um, universe, so that even though your favorite heroes and characters they may be off doing whatever adventure, you always know that that clear and present threat is hovering over them or behind their shoulder, just waiting to strike and is calculating while they're trying to progress. And so I'm, so I'm obviously, so I'm very excited to see where they, how they want and how they introduce Admiral Thrawn and how they, how they sort of establish, establish him into the Mandalorian world, because especially with the way Mandalorian set up, it's not these I don't think it's going to be this long series of episodes where you're just going to be able to establish his character. I think it's going to be a lot of it built off of the fact that at least hoping that you've watched Clone Wars, that you've watched Rebels. And so you're so there's some understanding of who he is, what he's about, how calculating he is, because he's not he's not a force user, but he he's just so well calculated, well calculated, well, he's so prepared. I guess that's probably the better way to phrase it. He's so prepared. That his just his intensity, his 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 uh, strategic nature that sort of creates this feeling of you have to be at your best to be able to beat him. You have to not only just beat him physically, but you have to beat him and be so prepared mentally that if you're not, he's going to trounce you. So I'm curious. So I'm really excited to see where they where they interject him into the series and how that affects what they do with Ahsoka, how that affects what they do with the 
um, other Mandalorians and how that affects what's happening with Mando himself and figure out where everything, how everything sort of plays into what we plays into or builds upon what we've seen from both Mandalorian so far and rebels. So I'm very excited to see that. I think one of the things that I've at least expanding its past just episode 13, but just in general, one of the things that I've seen with episode with season two, and I'm hoping that it keeps picking up pace as we keep going is that I would like to see the Mandalorian sort of really not become action heavy per se, but really start picking up the pace, really starts pushing things forward. And I, I know the show's sort of tendency is to slow play it. And then you build up to that, build up to a fight or a battle, or you bring it down to sort of tell the character moments. But I think it's starting to get to a point where you got to really start pushing forward and really pressing the story. Cause I find myself through a lot of these episodes where I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Okay. They're building some lore here and there. But I'm like, let's go. Let's push it forward. Let's find things out. Let's let's start. Let's add the dark saber into it. Let's get Admiral Thrawn into it. Let's let's start pushing it. And I and I know they just introduced Admiral Thrawn or brought him up this this past episode and the dark saber to an episode ago. But it's just sort of one of those things of okay, now that we understand that these things exist, that they're in the universe, let's keep pushing forward. Let's keep, let's sort of pick up the pace on how we get to these, these points. Cause I don't, I don't know off the top of my head, how long the series, how season two, how long season two is supposed to be, but I assume it's still like what, eight to 10 episodes. I don't think it's, I'm, I would assume it's not going to be any longer than that. So it's sort of like, let's start pushing this story forward. Let's start going before we get to episode eight, nine or 10 or whatever the number is going to be. Um, so, so I would like to know your thoughts. Just what are your thoughts on how they handled Ahsoka? What are your thoughts on what, on Admiral Thrawn? What are your, just, I would like to get to know your general thoughts on what you're experiencing with Man- with Mandalorian. Are you even watching Mandalorian? If you're not, tell me why. Just, we'll hit us up on, the Twitter, uh, CJ, the at CJ, the pod and Instagram as well. And sort of let us know what you're thinking about, um, Mandalorian where I'm still trying to get Brie into watching it, but I'm pretty much the main person in my family that's watching Mandalorian right now. So I'm curious to see what other people think who, who are watching it, what they think of how the story's progressing, how it's moving forward, things like that. Let's see. I guess next on my list, speak, I guess we can keep it with, with sort of Di- Disney in a roundabout way, right? Because it was released early sometime last week that that Warner Brothers in DC were moving, we're going to stream um, Wonder Woman 84 onto HBO Max, and it's going to be free for HBO Max subscribers, at least for a month. So in case you have so in case you're not fully aware, so they're going to scream it on HBO Max for a month, and then it's going to be only available in theaters after that one month. So from Chris, so and it debuts on the app um, on Christmas Day. So you, and so I'm assuming that a lot of people are going to sign up for the free trials, things like that, just to watch Wonder Woman. But the thing that I find interesting about that one is, is sort of Warner saying, "Okay, we got to get this movie out at some point. We got to get people talking." And one way to do that is to drive the, a fan base of people that are going to want to watch Wonder, going to want to watch Wonder Woman. 
to HBO Max. And two, it's to get sort of hopefully by getting that influx of free trials and all that stuff that they'll stay to watch Justice League and or the uh, Snyder's uh, Justice League um, cut or whatever. And then watching some of the Green Lantern series that I think is supposed to be on HBO Max at some point and just sort of and keep the people there. But what I find interesting about it was sort of how Warner and Disney handled the road, the rollout of two different movies. Right. So we obviously had Mulan earlier this year come to Disney Plus, but it came with a premium price of, of about 30 bucks. I know for me, I didn't play it. I didn't or I didn't pay that to watch Mulan, especially after I heard some reviews about it. I'm like, I'm not going to pay 30 bucks for a service I already pay for to go see this movie. If it's there, it's there. If it's not, whatever. And I'm wondering, and I think that's probably going to be a trend that Disney's going to, if Disney moves to having some of their more uh, profitable, I guess what's the word, more profitable properties come on to Disney Plus. I'm wondering if that's, if I guess they're, I assume they're going to probably judge the success of Wonder Woman after that and see, see how how many subscribers does HBO Max get because of Wonder Woman, how many people stay once it's once that month is up, and then how many people actually go see it in theater as well. Because I know for me personally, I'm probably going to still see it in theater first, regardless of the fact that I have access to HBO Max. I'm probably going to still see it in theaters anyway, just because I'm. Something like that. I'm. I've heard. I've been. I've heard from a lot of people that they don't necessarily want to go to movie theaters anymore. They don't necessarily feel safe there, and I get that. For me, I've always been. I'm always been like, as soon as it feels like theaters are safe, I'm gonna go. Even now, when I go to, I've been to a, a couple movies in the theater when, uh, during the whole pandemic, and I've been there, and, and most I think there's been four people, including myself in the theater. And for me, that felt extremely safe because I never like to sit around anybody anyway, especially if I'm going by myself. If I'm, if I'm going by myself, then that's, it makes it easier for me to just say, whoever's in the theater, you spread out, go wherever you want to go. So come Christmas, if, if, if that stays the same, I would feel extremely confident going to theater, going to the theaters to see it. So I think it's, I think it's going to be a strong test for both streaming platforms and how the pandemic has affected this growth of streaming p- platforms and how much it has affected theaters as well. Cause I'm wondering how many people once that month is up, it's going to go just, it's just going to go see it in theaters and they're not even going to subscribe to HBO max. Right. Cause that's a lot. And it makes me think with Disney because Mulan obviously didn't do as well as they wanted, wanted it to do. It also probably didn't, it wasn't probably the best movie they could have used. So it makes me wonder, especially like with a Black Widow, for example, I'm wondering if Disney sort of rethinks their strategy with Black Widow and says, okay, let's put it on Disney Plus, have people see it, get good word of mouth. And so the people that don't necessarily have access to Disney Plus, but want to go see it in theaters, they they see the, they hear the good word of mouth about it and they go see it. Granted, that has to imply that Black Widow is going to be a good movie, and I'm sure it will, because obviously Marvel and Disney have had a great track record with the Marvel movies. But it's sort of get that good word of mouth. Same thing with actually not same thing with not think about it, same thing with Warner. It's like if the people who don't have access or don't want to get access to HBO Max, do they sort of have that 
mentality of get the good word of mouth out there so that when people people feel safe to go see it in theaters, they can go see it. Um, they they go see it in theaters instead, and that brings back some of that helps them recruit some of the, the revenue they're going to lose by having it not be a widespread a widespread theatrical release, right? And that's probably another thing I'm actually curious about to hear from everyone else. What is, if there's a hesitation of going back into the theaters, what is it? Is it just the pandemic? Is it just you've gotten used to having access to movies at home? Like, I'm curious to hear what, what all of you listening think of what, if there is any hesitation to going back into the theaters to watch a movie, what is it? And as I said, hit us up on socials and let us know because I'm I'm very curious about that because I for me I've as I said I've I'm comfortable going back to theaters just because I know the way I want to be in a theater anyway I want to social socially distance regardless whether it's a pandemic or not I'm I was just telling my father I missed those times before I actually had a big boy job where I could go to the go to see a movie at like one in the morning and be the only one in the theater. I, I've always sort of preferred that sort of, I've always prefer, preferred the theater experience. And quite frankly, it doesn't matter to me whether there's a crowd or not. I, that doesn't affect my enjoyment at all. I know for some people it may, it may affect your enjoyment. Actually, does a, does a crowd help improve the, your appreciation of a movie? That's another thing I want to, I'm curious about. Cause for me, it, it, as I said, it doesn't like, I don't, it, I am just as much if no one's there or if it's a packed house, as long as everyone shuts the hell up, I could care less about whether they laugh or anything like that. I've been, in, I've sat in movie theaters where there's an uncomfortable scene and I'm over here, I'm over here chuckling because I find it funny and I get the side eye because people act like I'm crazy. I'm like, I just find it funny. Come, leave me alone. Don't, if you don't want to hear me laugh at these sort of morbid scenes, just don't be here. And it just, it's such a funny thing that I wonder, I'm really curious once all this sort of gets figured out, what is the after effects of not only the movie industry, but movie theaters specifically of the pandemic? I'm really, I'm very curious to see that because some theaters haven't always, some theaters especially haven't always had the cleanliest places in the world, even though they clean them. I use air quotes on that, clean them, but I'm very curious to see where, where that goes for both theaters and, and, and just the general audience. I think what we're, what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a quick break. Thank the sponsor of today's episode anchor, and we will be right back in a couple seconds. And we are back. The next thing I want to get to get um, started on is talking about Black Clover. So if you're unfamiliar with Black Clover as an anime, it's basically a show centered around two peasants, Asta and Yuno, who come from a poor area of this kingdom called the Clover Kingdom. And it's centered, and it's basically centered around the whole story is basically centered around the haves and have nots of of people who can use magic. Right. Your level of um, your level of mana, so to speak, is what they how they gauge your level of 
their ability to use magic. You really, your level of mana really determines sort of your social status and if you're born into royalty or not. And so a lot of the show centers around Asta, who can't use magic at all, and Yuno, who can use an abundance of it, an abundance of it. It feels like he has a new ability every week. And it really, and what I really enjoy about the show, and I, and as someone who got introduced to anime through Dragon Ball, I sort of look at characters like an, uh, an, an Asta or a Naruto or in, uh, in shows like that, even in some of the characters in Fairy Tale and One Piece. And if you've listened to this podcast, the general podcast, or even the one shot, you know, don't like to compare anything to One Piece, but I, I have seen it, do still hate it. And I'm always comparing their sort of main, pro, their main male protagonist to Goku, because a lot of them are spawns of what Goku was or what he still is to a certain extent. And I'm always, and so I found that, I, and I was thinking about it when I was watching Black Clover, as I watched all of the, I've, I think I originally started when it first came out and I only got to episode four before I was like, I don't think the show's for me, but I got bored over the past month and I was like, let me give it a chance. And I really enjoyed it. But I was, as I was watching, I kept comparing Asta to uh, Goku and thinking about the similarities, both of them sort of being peasants, both of them sort of being just these, in many ways, these, these uh, idiot hicks from out in the boonies. And, but they love the, ch- but they, but they sort of have this never say die attitude, this, this penchant to not giving up and always wanting to train and better themselves and bring their friends along with them as they're bettering themselves. And I think, and what I found about Asta that it made me so much that actually made me less appreciative of Goku is I realized there's some qualities to Asta that is so endearing that you never really get to see, you never really got to see with Goku. And one of the things I, I look at is how the characters around Asta, not just his teammates, not the people he fights with, but the people he protects, the people that, that, that he just interacts with, that, that he's not sort of putting his life on the line right next to, you see how they accept him. He, obviously royalty in the show, not so much, but at least not the royalty that he doesn't fight with, but sort of the other peasants, the middle class of the kingdom, you see how they react to him, how they embrace him, how they appreciate him, how he's, how his attitude and behavior is magnetic and it makes people want to try harder. And I think to a certain extent, Goku has that ability, but the way it was always presented always came off as he was, I guess that he was better than because of it, right? It always came off the way he presented it to my, at least to me, and this is part of the reason why I was never the biggest Goku fan is it always came off as because he has these abilities, he's better than someone else. Whereas the way they presented with Asta is always, he's just like you because he cares so deeply about others. And that's where I find the, the improvement on basically the Goku character model is you see that improvement. I've even saw some parts with, with Luffy and Naruto and just various other sort of basic shonen animes since Dragon Ball, specifically Dragon Ball Z. Dragon Ball Z came out. You start to see where those shows or well, those, well, that character model, that's better rephrase, that, was, that, that character model sort of has grown 
to a point where you have characters like Anasta who can can uh, can inhibit a lot of those same character traits or embody that's better for embody those same character traits the stupidity the the need to train and better themselves the the sort of never back down from a fight mentality you really and even just the idea of wanting to fight the biggest and the baddest and the strongest just to show that you're on that level and I think you, there's a lot of similarities, but where it comes, where the improvement comes in is how the care, how the characters around him appreciate him, right? How he invokes change in them. Cause I think they're, cause I think Goku invoked change in a lot of the characters that he interacted with, but I think it was, I think it came off better the way black, the black clover writers presented it. And I think that's just the obviously the growth throughout time when you see that same character model damn near done to death, right? And one thing, another thing I really appreciate about the show is the arcs. Sometimes, I admit, some of the arcs, they'll go on a little side path to get to where they want to go. And it's like, it's, I found this really funny, especially because it was during arcs, not necessarily the filler episodes, where you see that there's some characters and you're just like, you guys have given no time to these characters or what you've given these characters to do in the show. I don't care. I just don't care. And I've had that urge even in the middle of like major story arcs, just to want to skip through it. Cause I'm like, these characters don't matter to the end goal of the story. But what's funny is in sort of the filler episodes, I feel almost the exact opposite because they, it's almost like because they know it's a filler episode, they have to, and just to keep your attention for that one particular episode, they almost have to endear this sort of maybe not one off character, but this side character to the side character, to the side character. You have to take this D level character and you have to really sort of endear it to the audience while they're watching because they may show up again later, but they're just mostly there to feed a narrative in that one into that either one episode, that one series of episodes. And I think that's something that's been handled well is the fillers where you can, I still found that, that enjoyment through, through the filler episodes and it's the arcs, which oddly enough, where it wasn't fighting, whether if it wasn't fighting, some of the character episodes with this D level characters just was like, eh, okay, well, I guess we got to do this to get back to just get back to what we want to do. And one of, one of the other funny things I noticed while binge watching it, uh, the all 153 episodes so far over the past month or so, one of the things I found very interesting about it was I get, and maybe this is someone who, maybe someone who has a trained eye for animation will say, um, will be like, duh, of course you can notice this. But for me, I, it was very clear to notice and just in general, when I watch anime, the sort of the high budget episodes and the sort of lower budget episodes. But the thing I noticed about Black Clover is just where you could see that the the art style changes ever so slightly. I started noticing that more while binge watching it. I started, obviously, you'll notice the big swings in in um in in the episode budgets because the animation just picks up in a way that's almost unexpected when you even when you watch like the previous episode. And so it was interesting to start to see that as someone who who loves animation the way I do, start seeing those little, those little, um, 
differences where the line weight around someone's face is a little more refined with a better budget or sort of, or even like in some of like the bigger budget episodes, you can almost see some of the outlines around the character itself sort of disappear and it becomes this sort of fine and refined and fluid um, animation style or, or just a character model where it's so refined and fluid that it almost feels like you're watching a cinematic rather than a, a 2d animated show, or even, even if it's like slightly 3d animated as well, but you not, but you start noticing those small little differences that you may not notice when you're just watching it casually or watching it week per week. Cause you can sort of get separated from, from one story beat to the next. And so, I, so yeah, let me know what you guys think of black, about uh black clover. Let me know where you're, if you've given it a watch, if you have given it a watch, let me know some of your favorite characters, favorite episodes. I know one character whose name I can't say, and I won't even attempt to say it. I've been trying and it still never works out, but, um, but, uh, Leopold's older sister of the crimson, uh, of the crimson, uh, lions, crimson lions, crimson red lions, I think is what they're called, whatever. But his old, but Leopold's older sister, every time she's on the screen, I'm glued. I'm hooked because I don't. Yes, she has this sort of overbearing presence when she's on screen, but it's so funny to watch. It's so entertaining to watch that when she disappears for episodes, I get disappointed. I'm like, I don't care about Leo. I don't care about his older brother. They matter. They don't matter to me. It's all about the older sister and that family for me. She's just so wildly entertaining. Um, so yeah, let me know some of your favorite characters, episodes, things like that. Let me know where, where you, where you guys are with, uh, Black Clover. And, and let me, let me see, what else can we talk about real quick before I wrap this up? Hmm. Okay. I, I think I'll I'll wrap this up on a, on a positive note, right? So. I, I saw a report this week and I actually watched it later on after I saw it, but I saw that Marvel changed the in, the intro title card to Black Panther to feature saw the feature uh, uh, Chadwick Boseman as Black Panther to feature some of the behind the scenes stuff. So just some of the things that really cast him in a very positive and bright light. And I thought it was it was such a touching, beautiful thing. And you could really and I always believe that when someone dies, you really see the impact of them once once they're gone, right? Like you see the like you see the outpouring of tributes after he initially died, but to see them still continuing, that lets you know that there's that he left the that Chadwick left a legacy that will hopefully stand the test of time. And it it honestly made me very. It felt it was one of it's sort of one of those good pieces of news that you don't necessarily get a lot in, right? Especially right now during a pandemic and all this stuff. But it was a very good piece of just news and media to see that Disney's still thinking about him, Marvel's still thinking about him. They still appreciate the work he put in to the um, put into Marvel and Black Panther and, and Disney as a whole and the representative he was and. Just apparently 
to everyone as the kind-hearted soul he was. It was such a, it was very touching. It was such a small thing to do, but even there's an old saying that even small things can leave the biggest impact. And I really think even just changing the introduction to Black Panther was such a such a great thing to do, such a nice, just heartwarming thing to do. So kudos to Marvel and Disney for that. And I guess with that, I'll I guess with that I'll close it out and just say thank you for listening. As I said, with the change in schedule, you'll get a couple more one shots before we get it back to the general episodes. And with that, I just want to say peace and love, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure you tune back next week for another one shot, I believe, featuring Bree next week.